fun. And we are recording yet again with Miss Kate Archer. Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. Please introduce yourself for all the new listeners. Hi, everyone. It's nice to be back again with Tommy. My name's Kate Archer. I'm a ballet teacher for about 40 years. Uh, I'm a native of Virginia. I grew up in many states around the country, um, East Africa and Pakistan. And that's me. When were you in East Africa? I moved when I was 11. To or from? To. From Virginia to East Africa. My dad worked with uh, the State Department. I was going to say, if you're in Virginia, I'm thinking CIA, and then you said East Africa, and I was like, oh, well, something's going on here. Yeah, USAID. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But he was a farmer. For the State Department? Yeah, USDA. Oh, USDA. Oh, I thought, oh, I thought you. And USAID. USAID and USDA. Okay. Correct. So, so what did, if you mind me asking. Sure. um, What, what all did he do in South Africa? Is that like, is that a run of the mill thing? Is that a normal? I don't admittedly as much as I think I know, I actually don't know anything about the state department. I'm realizing as I'm talking, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I know a lot about the CIA and the NSA and I'm just realizing I'm like, I don't know a damn thing about the state department. And same bureaucracy. Um, now he uh, got his PhD in soybeans. Uh, so um, he worked with the county extension agency for many years. And uh, we were supposed to go to Libya, of all places. Um, gosh, that was in the late 60s. And then the big war happened there. And so we were fortunate we didn't take that job. Uh, and got the job in East Africa, uh, which was wonderful, wonderful place for kids to grow up. Um, so he ran research stations um, for sorghum, millet, soybeans, helping farmers in the region uh, learn how to grow their um, crops and not just for human consumption, but also animal consumption. Uh, so you teach the man to fish. Mm-hmm. You teach the man to farm for what they were doing. Right. Now, the cynic in me says the U.S. had to have been gaining something. I, I just finished up a book that I've listened to before several times, mm-hmm. and I, I picked up on something that I guess I just not really paid attention to less. It's called Base Nation by David Vine, and it's about like our eight or 900 bases around the world. And he's interviewing this this admiral or someone or someone from the Marine, Marines in like 2011. I think they're talking about like Honduras or something. And mm. uh, like we do goodwill missions, like we build schools, we'll build hospitals. But he was like, make no mistake. What this actually is, is it's training for the U.S. military. Because what is it really? We're putting a bunch of Marines on a ship, moving them across an ocean and they're deploying. And we are and we're moving materiel it's not tanks and missiles it's it's plywood and and nails but he goes it's training and honduras lets us do it because and then they just get a free school or a free hospital because make no mistake this is not the u.s military doing philanthropy this is us training and then the hondurans get a little treat as well so and that was just this morning i think i was listening to that so the cynic in me says the hell are we doing in east africa teaching them soybeans everywhere you know we go to third world countries we being the u.s um to give them aid in so many various forms and it doesn't seem like there's any progress in those countries it's like 60 70 80 years later and all this money for what yeah for what um you know, yeah, there's glimmers of hope. Uh, and I think it is actually in East Africa where they have cell phone service better than we do. But it's like everybody's got cell phones. I mean, the Maasai <laughs> out in the Serengeti, they've got everybody's got a cell phone. They they all get on the Internet. Um, I, 
that just boggles my mind, you know, knowing what it was like when I lived there. Now, per se, you know, what's the, the deeper part of your question? I cannot answer that because I was a child yeah. living there. I was a teenager. Um, you know, I, okay, I'll go there. Um, that I went to an inter, international school. The international schools there only went up to grade nine. So I was there for seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, but not at that, only the seventh grade at the international school. So you had so many European, uh, almost every European country represented there. Uh, one of the girls in the class, Anna, was the daughter of the Russian ambassador we could play skip rope at the school but we could not socialize outside of school because it was the soviet union it was the united states um i had a diplomatic passport we were not allowed to go to the ussr at that time um she couldn't even she could tell me that she was having a birthday party, but I could not go to her birthday party, nor could she come to my birthday party. We're 12. You know, we just want to play. We want to be kids, and it's the adults that screw everything up. Yeah. Uh, three kids that um, I did go to school with. Um, one of my sisters was two grades above me. So she went to school with the, uh, in class with the older boy, Eddie. Uh, Chude was in the eighth grade. Naleti was uh, fifth or sixth grade. So she was just a little younger than me. Um, they, their mother was American, but their father was Eduardo Manlani. Manlane. Uh, he was the leader of Frelimo which was the freedom fighters for Mozambique. Okay. Mozambique at that time, Angola, Guinea-Bissau, were colonies of Portugal. Okay. The Marxists in those countries, especially Mozambique, Angola, were uh, getting help from Cuba and Russia to battle for their independence from Portugal. So uh, the father had been assassinated either the year before or two years before we arrived in Tanzania. Um, he got a letter bomb in the mail. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, so Jude, the oldest daughter, a grade above me, she was sent to Russia to go to school and uh, she danced. She took ballet. And I was so jealous of her when she came back because she was showing me her point shoes. She's on toe. And she's, you know, to this day, I can still remember the um, thing she told me that she was learning in those classes. Um, Eddie was being groomed to be the replacement, to replace fill his father's shoes. And they sent him to Russia to learn how to fight. You know, these kids are 13, 14, 15. Eddie wanted nothing to do with it. Um, Naleti, she and I used to play together and hang out and uh, go to the beach. Her house, she lived in a compound, so it was all fenced in with wrought iron gates and the barbed wire. Um, convoys, the, the big convoy trucks uh, were there with Mozambique soldiers. So I'm sure there were guns on the compounds. I, I saw some, yeah. Uh, we were escorted to the beach, Big Sam escorted us to the beach. Uh, we lived two blocks away 
from the Indian Ocean. Um, and he had a couple of soldiers with their AKs or their collision costs. Jeez. You know, uh, guarding us. Um, five, six years later, Mozambique, Mozambique got its independence. Big Sam, Samora Michelle, was the first president of Mozambique. Uh, second year, I guess the second or had to be the second year, third year that we were living in Tanzania. My parents had a lot of pressure put on them by who knows who. It could even have been the CIA uh, attache embassy saying, cut off ties. Your kids cannot associate with the Mon Lane kids. And it was the saddest day of our lives that we were going to go to a party that night and had to sit there with the three kids and say, I'm sorry, we can no longer associate with you. No phone calls, no anything. Did you ever find out why? or is, is it- Because things were heating up so much. Uh, we, I, again, you know, what is the United States getting out of some of these countries? And I think at that particular time, um, Russia is feeding arms into the Mozambique freedom fighters and the U.S. was counter counter farming yeah if you will right arms people yeah it's all it's all an outreach of the military if it's not like the book if it's not directly tanks and missiles it's we're teaching you how to farm and you know in case in the future we ever need a base here you guys are going to look the other way well, now the Soviets are teaching them to farm. Well, we know what the farming's about because we do the farming. So it's it's like a weird sort of parallel proxy war. Right. You know, and now it's the Jeez. Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, and, and we're kids, you know, we're teenagers. Yeah. All we want to do was go to the parties. All we want to do was dance. All we want to do was skip rope and go to the beach. Yeah. And it's all the adults in the world who were messing stuff up for us. The reality is, is if you brought like a guy from like Beijing to maryland i'd probably play video games with them and we get drunk as shit and laugh yeah but unfortunately it's the united states and the ccp of which i am absolutely guilty of perpetuating but yeah it's a yeah it really does take over every facet of life and it clashes in every way and it's just it's the it's 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 like the maniacal machine of empire. It's like everything from we need nuclear missiles in Turkey to little Miss Kate cannot associate with them because their dad's friends in the government are taking soybean lessons from this. And it's like, what the it's it almost makes me think of like the Grinch. You know, the not the one with Jim Carrey, you know, the animated Grinch. Yeah. How he gets everything, every last ornament. <laughs> <laughs> like that's kind of the clashing of nations it's it's not enough that we uh are going to kick you out of cuba little kate <laughs> can't go to a party in east africa and it's like even even the tinsel and it's like even the tinsel even the little bit of even the crumb the mouse was eating no 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 it's all ours and it's like god god <laughs> yeah you know the the uh the sad part at that time um you know, I, I don't like to dwell on, you know, a lot of, yeah, sure. events, yeah. but, you know, because there were so many, so many wonderful, good things. happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just I'm, I'm the terrible I, host asking you to focus on. No, because no, that's more exciting than <laughs> the like, good tell stuff. me about the suffering of the Cold War. You're like, well, today's a beautiful day. nonsense. I want to know about the existential. <laughs> right. Yes. The Mau Mau revolution. In yeah. Kenya. Tell me more. You're like, it was a beautiful day. I'm like, I want to know about the Kalashnikovs. Um, you know for eighth and ninth grade I went to boarding school up in Nairobi so I went approximately 600 700 miles to school Um, and one of the teachers there the piano teacher was a lady from India um, who had gotten her training I'm not not playing on my phone 
I'm yeah. I'm pulling up a map of Africa just so I can get like a so sense you, of what so you're talking you about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. I just don't want you because there's nothing worse than if you ever see like a podcast host like looking down, they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's like, dude, that's such a smack in the face. So sorry, <laughs> I'm just looking up a map of Africa. Okay. Um yeah, the piano teacher was a lady from India. Um and she had gotten her training at uh, in England. Uh, so she had the most beautiful English accent and um, just so, such a sweet lady. And uh, around that time, 72, 73, um, I must have been 73 to 74, all of East Africa um, decided to expel all of the Indians and Pakistanis from East Africa, even even though they had lived there or were born there, I mean, they carried dual citizenship. Now, your Indians and Pacs, they run all of the industry, all of the cottage industries. They run all the stores. So you're kicking out people who run your economy, basically. And um, I, I went to Keanu class and I was playing a piece I really you know wasn't that great of a piano player I love to play piano um and she was you know I glanced out to the side and she's looking out the window across the coffee fields because we were surrounded by several coffee plantations coffee coffee everywhere and not a drop to drink uh, so she's looking out over the rolling hills and she can see Mount Kenya in the distance. And I finished playing and she didn't say anything and everything was quiet. And then she just, she didn't even look at me. She said, that's enough for today. You've been a good student. And I closed my book and walked out. I knew she was lying because <laughs> I really, I hated the theory. You know, and I, I tended to rush and play yeah. too fast. I was not a good tempo. Yeah. Um, and that was the last I saw of her. She was expelled, uh, sent out of the country. She had to go. She had to go back to India. Uh, she was part of it. And that was just really sad. The hell. So how does that, how does that affect your mindset now? Because like, you have me. I've never been outside the United States. I've never served in the military. I'm clearly mm -hmm. pro-America. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm unashamed, unashamedly, shamelessly pro-America. But I always have to keep my mind open because the, the second you think you have it figured out, yeah. it's death. It's, it's, really, it's the death of a brain, right? I mean, it's like what Ben Franklin, I think it was Ben Franklin talking about like, following your dreams or some shit and it was like most men die at 25 but they're buried at 75 which kind of sounds like an edgy middle school comment but like i think there's something else to that not just in that you're not pursuing your dreams but like cognitively not staying open when people are like listen i'm right it's you might as well be dead like you've hit the ceiling of personal growth maybe your kids will grow further but you're done like if i in 2022 think i know how the world works great but i mean for the rest of my life i might as well just go sit in like a mirror echo room because there's nothing else so i always have to against against the wills of my ego and, and narcissism i have to always go i don't i don't know everything and even part of my brain's like yeah i do i know everything i'm like all right Let's at least pretend we don't know everything just for the sake of the mental exercise. So all that to say, like I look now and I look at, you know, we need more sanctions on China and Confucius Institutes and they're buying farm. I mean, I just had on Joe Kent and Gordon Chang the other day and they're talking about just that expelling like Chinese nationals. And in my limited life of 31 years, I'm like, yes, we have to. It's, you know, history shows, but we got a posture. But then... I'm looking at like your mindset and maybe I can't separate the two, but I look back at the Soviet union and I'm like, yeah, well we spent them into oblivion and corruption killed them. It probably the tip, the straw that broke the back probably wasn't you not being allowed to go to a birthday party. But maybe if I could go, maybe if I had a God's eye view, 
maybe they would go, no, that was actually, it was, it was such an overwhelming total war that that was part of it. All this rambling. How does this make you feel about something like, uh, and again, something that I, I do agree with, like, you do have to expel Chinese nationals. Like they are, they are subverting our democracy. They are provably stealing intellectual property, specifically from defense contractors. They're here to subvert the United States. They've openly stated that. But to play devil's advocate and to keep our minds fertile and fresh, what are your opinions on that? Could you offer an opposing viewpoint, even if you don't necessarily believe it? Could you go through a mental exercise with me and talk about yeah you're talking I mean, you're talking about you know piano lessons like that's enough okay and then you never see him again never go to birthday parties again so it's the worst day ever what are your thoughts on us first china or us first russia or us first whatever enemy there are limitations in their boundaries and i think you are finding with all of your interviews that especially this, and I shall say regime in the White House uh, throughout Washington, that they have decided they have no limitations. Yeah. And they're taking every license that they can to break down our sovereignty, our boundaries, which is our borders, and uh, and de- destroying much of our institutions throughout the country. So there's not one thing, it's so many, it's big web and it's all happening. And it's, you know, you look at a spider's web and goes out and the big ones. So we were out here for a while and now we're here and everything is tightening and getting closer together. Uh, that we just, we find ourselves tangled in this web. So there is no one solution. There is no one particular problem. Um, it's been a gradual onset from decades, and we've allowed that to happen through um, our education system. Now, like I said, I, I, I was in the international school for a year and boarding school for two. So the Americans, the Canadians and the British, they combined their academic requirements together for schooling so that all those nationalities when they returned back to their home country um they weren't behind we were two years ahead of american schools so when i came back to the states i didn't have to take many academics in my next boarding school um, because i'd already had it in seventh and eighth grade eighth ninth grade I look at the kids I teach now and they're learning more from me uh, because I incorporate English and grammar and history and math and geometry and everything into my ballet lessons. So we, that's part of the breakdown of other countries doing their covert or you know their operations to disintegrate the United States is that you start with the smaller institutions you start with the churches uh, and you just break everything down until you know with stupid is as stupid does we've got that running rampant I don't know if that answered your question or not. It seems like it seems like they're they're forcing they're forcing us to play. Um, you know, uh, when was that? Next door to us in Tanzania, we had a German family living there, and uh, the little boys didn't. Speak 
speak, you know, they much English. They were eight, 10 years old, but I taught them, uh, took them to the swimming pool and I taught them how to dive because I did swimming and diving for several years. Um, you know, diving from the high dives and springboard and such, all the tricks that come off of that. Um, and then one day they're gone and Chinese move in. And these were Maoists, I mean, real Maoists. All they had on their walls was a picture Mao. of Mao. Mao Tanzania had at that time brought in Chinese to start running the country. And this was in the early 70s. Um, you know, the food disappeared from the shelves. You know, you think you go to the grocery store and you see bare shelves here. You ain't seen nothing. Yeah. Uh, we practically had, you go into a grocery, imagine going into a grocery store and seeing three aisles of food and the rest of the store empty. Yeah. The rest of totally empty and inferior food. Uh, we got this um, sugar and the granule. The granules of sugar were square cut, little cubes. I mean, tiny little cubes, but it was big enough where the joke was you could see the stamp made in China. <laughs> uh, thing. You know, and it took a while for it to dissolve. Um, made it probably made yeah. of like lead. And our gun was confiscated when we moved there, but these Chinese had a shotgun because they let their chickens roam and would come over into our yard to. Sounds uh, like some more diplomatic bullshit. Right. Well, <laughs> building schools. No, it's the military. It's our chickens. That sounds like an excuse for it. To, all right. So, yeah. So if I ever, yeah. Next time I'm on a plane, I'm going to bring my chicken so I can have my 12 gauge in first class. Yeah. It doesn't really. Sorry. I interrupted. I, I know. <laughs> uh, you know, and at the same time, Idi Amin was in Uganda. Uh, I don't know if you know much about him. No, no, I know I'm, the name. That's, that's yeah, it. It, incredibly cruel dictator. Uh, he, I think one of his wives, he had three or four wives. Uh, one of them, they just found her limbs floating in the river. Jesus. Um, they would, uh, when they were, I, I don't even know why, you know, when you're 13 or 14, you don't care uh, why. You just know that it happens. You know, they're killing people. Yeah. Who cares what their motivation is? The fact is they're killing. Uh, the soldiers would go into little towns in villages in Uganda and decide, okay, well, these guys aren't going to come and fight with us. So Get rid they of strip them. them naked, put a white apron on them, tie them to a tree, and then just execute them. And a white apron was so that you could see the blood. Yeah. So you open up the newspaper and you just see photographs, photographs Jesus. of this. Go on. It's like listening to to so many like audiobooks really just on like the last hundred and fifty years. It's like fascinating. You can see the patterns and you can see like some things never change. Like maybe it's a horse, maybe it's a, a plane, maybe it's a blimp, maybe it's a space shuttle. But you just certain things, right? It's either a, a musket or it's a you know, a, a laser guided bomb. And, but really either it's, we're, you know, teaching them soybeans or, you know, right now we're going to Ukraine to, uh, you know, like fortify their infrastructure. Yeah. That would, that would shut up. Like, and it's all fascinating. And there, but there's always a creeping apathy that you have to keep at bay for no other reason than, self-survival and preservation apathy leads to despair leads to suicide or death without dying you just don't care anymore but and this isn't even like a really a take on the current events of the world but even if everything was like great even if the election wasn't stolen and there was no covid bioweapon and inflation wasn't rampant even if everything's great there's still like this like you look back 
you know, like read about the Dulles brothers and like all the sacrifices they made and the, the evil machinations and all. And then it's like, and then it wraps up, you know, years later and years later and decades later. And, you know, when they're in a wheelchair and then they pass away and thank you for listening to this book on audible originally published in 1999. You're like, now it's 2022. And you're looking back and you're like, what was it all for? Now, and I don't know if that's necessarily a political thing or just like a human existential thing, but like, it's all great when you read about it and you're like, yeah, well, we had to beat the Nazis. We had to. And then there's like, I don't know. Sometimes you look back and you're like, you look at like you, as time goes on, you know, less and less about history. You only know the giant events. Like, you know, like you can name every war in like the 20th century, but now go back a couple hundred years, go back to like Napoleon. It's like, well, what do we, all right, you know, Waterloo, uh, there's the whiff of grape shot and he was exiled to St. Helens, I think. What else happened? I don't know. What about all the battles he fought? What about all the soldiers under him who, who died? Like, if you could go back in time, they might be like, you know, did I make a difference? And you'd be like, dude, you're not even in a, you're, you're in the footnote of a book that was a footnote of the other textbook. And if you could go back to that time, you might almost say like, I think I'm just gonna, you know, have a family and go live out in the prairie. Like, you know, enjoy the changing of the fall leaves, whittle a boat, do something that you find happiness in. So like, but then the other side of me and it's evident in like building this podcast, like I also love just like, there's also the other side where in a thousand years, someone might come back and say, yeah, man, like, at, you know, until 20 years after you're dead or up until 20 years after you're dead, no, no one listens to your podcast anymore. And I would look at them and say like, yeah, I don't give a shit. It was about, it was about the hunt. Like I love it because of working towards getting in a medical school sucked. The fight to get in was awesome. And you don't realize it until you get in. You go, now what? <laughs> you have no idea. It's Sisyphus. It gets the rock all the way up. Hey, you got it up. Now what do you want to do? And I, was like, I don't know. I guess I've just been struggling for eternity. You kind of yearn for the struggle. So I'm kind of like making and defeating my own point is, does it any of it matter? And if the answer is no, it's like, well, then did you enjoy the process? Yeah. And go for it. It's not the destination. It's the journey. It really is. And it's not just a cliche. It really, the destination's like, yeah, yeah. Well, who cares? It's a good carrot. It's a good trophy to have on the horizon. You know, uh, I, I, part of what you're saying gets to um, the, the gist of it, you know, as they say, uh, you can, you know, it's what is it about uh, losing the, you can win the battle, but lose the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can win all of these battles, but still <laughs> lose the war. You can lose the battles, but win the war. Yeah. Um, my best history teacher was in high school. And it wasn't about dates. It wasn't about those wars. It wasn't about those timelines. It was about the people. Mm. It was about the people that history affected. Yeah. And that was what we learned because in that process of learning what happens to society uh, as all of these events are happening, you realize how we got here. Yeah. It wasn't about those things or, you know, the... Dulles brothers were the cogs on the wheel, but the steam coming out of the engine for the people. Yeah. That's kind of odd. No, 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 it makes sense. It's almost like if the country's worth fighting for. Absolutely. Or even, let's say, on a smaller scale. If the family is worth fighting for, you might have, I mean, I was, I was, I've had a, I had a like early, 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 like first 30 episodes I had on this guy that was like an armored truck driver and uh, he was making a decent amount of money, but he was like, it was terrifying. Every day was terrifying. Um, and eventually he went and worked, started working at like a wood mill or something. And he was like, it sucks, but I was like, I make like three times as much. And I was like, do you like like it? And he was like, no, I don't give a shit about wood. He's like, it's, and I was like, well, what's that? And he goes like, every day I come home and 
uh, like my wife is there with like our baby and our four-year-old. They have food, they have toys. She doesn't have to work. And he's like, that's, that's fine. He's like, there's no like self-actualization in the wood mill. You know, he was like, it's not Tommy. It's not like your podcast where it's like, I'm going to do this thing. He's like, it's menial and it means nothing to me. And when it's over, I don't think I'll gain anything from it. But he's like, I come home exhausted. And I see like my family happy and taken care of. And he goes, yeah, it's all worth it. He goes, yeah, I'll, I'll do it to the day I die. He goes, that's worth it. If it's worth fighting for. And maybe that's it. Maybe if you went back to like the Dulles brothers or something, maybe you go back to like that random soldier in Napoleon's army that no one knows their name of. And he's like, yeah, but like my wife and kids are back home in our village. And if we kill these enemies, they won't kill my wife and kids. And who knows? Maybe that soldier's even enlightened. Maybe they're like, hey, listen, man, I know in a thousand years, no one will know about me. Just like I don't know about Spartans a thousand years before me. It might be like the woodmill, though, where he's like, hey, yeah, I, I know what I'm doing and it's worth fighting for. That might be it, too. Like, there might not be like... It's like what the comedian Tim Dillon says. People are always like, you know, it all comes out in the wash. Everything comes out in the end, evens out in the end. And he's like, never, never, ever does it all come out in the wash. The checkbook is not balanced. It does not, <laughs> the, maybe on like a spiritual plane it all is, but he's like, never does like the right person always win. Like some athletes just have a heart attack and die and some like fat drug addicts live to their 104. Like, it's like, it's not, if by no means is the universe fair. So maybe if it's just, maybe if it's worth fighting for, I don't know. Maybe I'm just having like an existential breakdown during this podcast. I have no idea. And then of course, I'm just throwing it on you. Like you have all the answers. I'm like, tell me a wise one. You're like, dude, I don't, <laughs> you're like, dude, I just, I just went to school in East Africa. I don't know. <laughs> No, I, I, I've been watching you on your spiritual development. Um, so those, the, sometimes the questions you throw out just answer themselves. And then you're like, well, that's it. <laughs> yeah, and then the guests are sitting there just like looking at me like they're the therapist. They're like, all right, Tommy, I'll see you next week. Well, I am a certified spiritual counselor, so... Well then, not that. Then I will continue to ask spiritual questions. Hey, do you mind if I go use the restroom real quick? Can you, uh, can you hold sure. it down? Sure. All right, you got a monologue. Welcome to Kate Cast. Welcome to Kate's monologue. Okay, so um, do I entertain you with a story from East Africa, or do I go on a riff about the biggest thing about COVID is how it's affected our kids? And I think this falls into uh, Tommy's whole rant he did. What is it all worth? It's about our kids and what is going to come after us. And we're watching it right now, what COVID did to our kids. And I knew what was going to happen to them with that very, very first lockdown when this disease was coming. And uh, in our state, we got locked down uh, around March 12th, and it was announced a couple of days beforehand. And to see those kids' faces when they came into class, I'm like, oh, Miss Kate, we're gonna be locked down. What do we do? What's gonna happen? They didn't say that in those particular words, but it, the sentiment was there and the look on their face of just stunned disbelief what do we do? They look to the adults to take care of them and to give them the answers. And if we don't have the answers, and if those parents have never known want, poverty, uh, lack, and all of a sudden they've got a lockdown. To me, it, you know, it was a big deal, but it was no big deal. I knew I could handle it. Um, but I had told my boss and a couple of the other teachers, I said, Houston, we have a problem. These kids are going to be scarred by this. And it was just like, oh, no, yeah, don't, don't worry about it. 
Oh, and then a month or so later, they're like, we have a problem. I was like, yes, <laughs> I could see that sheer terror in their faces. Um, and one of them said, I feel sorry for the kids who do not have access to the internet or have good internet service because we're going to have school on Zoom now. And how are they going to get schooling? You know, in their, I don't want to say small minds, but, you know, their worldview is small compared uh, to even Tommy coming out of college. You know, his worldview is broader than when it was when he was in high school. Um, I said, don't worry, we'll get through this. And it was... Um, after a week, this was close to spring break. So we had two weeks off. And uh, what was a big saving grace for us as adults, our uh, staff, all the teachers, we have approximately 10 all together. We had our own Zoom meetings and conference together. And it was just a face, a face, a face. I see all these faces. Uh, and it was like relief to see that. Uh, and so we kept ourselves sane during that time. And we didn't know what was going to happen, how long it was going to be. Of course, they all lied to us. But, you know, I don't, I'm, we're talking government. Um, oh, you know, what, two weeks to slow the spread. And my boss says, all right, we're going to do Zoom. We're going to teach classes on Zoom. We cannot come back to the studio at this time because everything's closed. And I live in a small apartment now. I had had a three-bedroom house. Um, my husband passed away. Then eight months later, my dog had strokes. He was put down. And next year later, I lost my home. I lived out of people's houses for about a year and a half before I got employed again. So now I live in this little tiny apartment with everything stuffed in behind me. That's why you don't see my kitchen behind me. Um, but I'm here all together. When you have loss and you understand loss, you do what you have to do to adapt. Mm -hmm. uh, when you grow up in Africa and you don't have stuff, you adapt. So when my boss says, you're going to teach ballet out of this tiny little apartment, and I'm going, you've been here. You, I don't have much room. She said, make it work. So I played around, moved furniture, uh, worked with the video, made some videos, sent it to her. I said, is this doable? She said, yes, <laughs> it'll work. Um, I think three weeks we were out of classes and then we pulled all the kids back into Zoom. And we had to adapt. And that was my biggest lesson I gave to those kids because they were looking to us then, not just their academic teachers, but their outside teachers. You know, this their joy is dance and recreation. Um, so all the teachers did take some time you know, here's your hour of class time, but we're going to take about 15 or 20 minutes to talk. Let the kids talk. Um, so the kids could hear each other. Um, and then we had a little bit of class time. Uh, my largest class was 23, 26 people. So I'm looking at 26 little squares of kids. They could be in their garage. They could be in their bedroom. They could be in a den, wherever it was. Um, and I learned to see miniature, <laughs> minute things so that I could say, do that, do this. Okay. Work that arm, work this leg. Um, he got very good at it. And we talked about adaptation, um, with my older ones, the high school, I said, many of my ballet teachers, um, were uh, old school. They came from Europe. They came from Russia. They, they danced with the Ballet Russe, which was uh, an offset company from Europe called the Ballet Russe, Russian Ballet. Um, and they 
this was during World War II. They're on a ship going through the Mediterranean on a tour. And they're trying to rehearse Swan Lake on this boat, you know, like a big cruise ship, wearing these humongous World War II life vests, which were incredibly bulky, because there's mines in the water in the Mediterranean, not knowing, you know, if this is the last time they do Swan Lake, because they hit a mine. Jesus. And these were the teachers that raised me. Teachers that survived the siege of Leningrad. Going to the studio, wearing a coat, dancing in a coat because there's no heat. Digging through the snow, looking for mushrooms to eat because there's no food. This is doable. Zoom, ballet on Zoom is doable. Wow. Um, when things were bad, um, I don't know when my husband was alive. We lived in Georgia at the time. Things get bad. You just, um, our, our uh, I don't want to say motto, but uh, our go-to. Um, there's always somebody worse off than you. Mm -hmm. No matter how things were. And uh, he was of the era, you know, you cruise in the car. People don't cruise anymore. Well, especially now, not with gas prices. Thank you. Um, but just, you know, the guys love to cruise, get the girl, let's go. And you just go for a drive. Yeah. So that's what we would do was just drive out in the country. And you would see some of these shanties and on a hillside and you go, people actually live there. Okay, <laughs> we don't have it so bad. Our problems, now we can go home and fix it. You know, we would just go out there, clear the air, find people in a worse shape than we were, knowing that we can come back and fix our problems. It's doable. Yeah. Um, it took us through, as far as this studio, I'm back to studio now in COVID lockdown. Um, we were still locked down into the summer and so our end of the year recital we could not dip most of our dances had been taped already at a competition but then some of the recreational dancers who do not go who are not company members we had to bring them in to the studio put them six feet apart film them in their costume and their dance it was all put together on a dvd instead of going to a theater to have a recital we went to the drive-in Excuse me. Everybody goes to the drive-in and watches the recital on the big screen. And everybody's honking their horns for applause. Yeah, and so that was that was great. Then we go back into classes for the summer. Um, drink water. We had no rules on how to do dance studios. They had gyms. They had hair salons. They had kids, daycare, but nothing for dance studios. So we had to take a little bit from everything. Um, my boss ended up putting six foot squares taping that on the floor in the studios. We had 14 to 16 squares in each room. Um, little um, walkways in between each square so they didn't touch. Only one room did they touch. So uh, we had to learn how to teach kids that were separate from each other, not to touch, you know, and ballet as a contact sport. Um, so you got three lines of kids. Well, you don't want the same line in the front. So I would always switch them. You travel through the tunnel. That's what I call them was tunnels to the back square and everybody else jumped over the tunnel to the next square. So it became, oh, you're in this shark cage. So you're gonna jump the shark to get to the next line. We got rid of those um, tapes after one year. When, so now we're looking before recital of last year. So that was 2021. 
And the first day the kids walked in and there was no tape on the floor. They froze and they go, there's no tape. There's no squares. What do we do? It took nine months to Pavlov dog these kids. Jeez. They had been so conditioned to be in squares and six foot apart. They didn't know what to do. And they, the memory of what dance used to be like was gone. Man, if there aren't so many implications in just that example. Exactly. Of all, I mean, it really makes you think the Ronald Reagan quote, freedom is always one generation away from being lost. Man, you really just, if you could keep the pandemic going for a decade, get everybody dependent on the government, all of a sudden something like the Great Reset, oh, you're tinfoil. We just saw how quickly it can be enacted. They'd have to boil the frog. They'd never do it. We're armed to the teeth. Within six months, everyone was wearing face diapers and scared to leave their homes. Mm-hmm. 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 The idea that totalitarianism is some distant memory is so flawed and so dangerously flawed. It's like I am a fluorescently white Irish guy. I got the worst sunburn of my life in 2018. Orders of magnitude worse than anything I've ever experienced. So there's actually like a medical term for it. It's called hell's itch. Mm. you go insane um i've not gotten sunburned since then i was normally pretty good about it i hate sunburns and i grew up hating them because they hurt so much but that one of 2018 was like a paradigm shifting i have not gotten sunburned since then the idea that sunburns don't happen anymore is so dangerously flawed i could go out right now tuesday may 17th well it's already 4 p.m i could go out tomorrow at 11 a.m and within a couple hours, could have the worst sunburn of my life, even though I went four years without one. It's it's one day away of not wearing sunscreen or not wearing a long sleeve shirt or not wearing a sun hat. It's the same thing with a dictatorship. Oh, it's it was all oh no, no, that, that that won't that won't be around again. That hasn't been around since black and white films and Hitler. No, uh, yeah, yeah, we've kept it at bay. It's one day and not putting on sunscreen. It is just one, eh, it's just two weeks. Eh, it's just a vax band-aid. It's just a booster. It's just another booster. Couple That's adverse effects, couple thousand deaths, couple BLM riots, just some censorship. It's just a little bit of censorship. It's just Alex Jones. It's just the sitting president. Okay, now it's everybody that talks about alternative treatment. <laughs> it's just 75 years to the Pfizer docs. It's just 40 billion. It's just 10% inflation. It's just a little pe- It's just some crossings at the border. And they're... And it's just, it's just one day, no sunblock. It's just one day. It's just one day. You'll be fine. You've gone four years without it. Mm-hmm. You're just burning alive. Jeez. And yeah. I'll tell you something else is that we, we took up the tape off the floors this last year. Cause even in the hallways, uh, we took out all the chairs out of the lounge waiting room because parents used to be able to come in. We kicked all the parents out for an entire year. So they had to drop their kids off, come in the door, get their hand sanitizer and go sit down on these little tiny squares in the hallway and wait until it was their time to come into the room. We took up all the squares. Kids come in. Now what? Where do we go? Uh, This last year, we didn't have any tape on the floor. When we get close to recital time, uh, it's about a month away, three weeks away. My boss puts down long lines of tape. So this simulates the um, stage floor for um, when, like some of the little babies, they got to go stand on the pink line in the front. So they're not going to, you can't say go stand center stage. That doesn't mean anything to a three and four year old, sometimes not to a 12 year old. Uh, 
when we get to a grand finale, which is the entire, you know, you got 150, 200 kids on stage, you've got to have them on lines uh, so that they can make straight lines. Uh, where do you run in on these lines? So it was a Saturday morning and the class came in and they suddenly realized there's there's tape on the floor. And one of the girls said, this always scares me when I see the tape. And my first thought, then I said, because it reminds you of when we had those squares on the floor and it was COVID and we were locked down and we had to have such strict rules. That's good. And she said, yeah, you're right. And so then I, it was my responsibility to spin that around. And I said, we had to have that so that the health department wouldn't come in and shut us down. And your studio director, our boss, uh, she, she was able to create a way to bring us back into the studio so we could all be together in one place and we could dance again and do what we love to do. And we didn't have to do it on zoom anymore. There's something and they all started smiling. Yeah, that's right. There's something good about that fear of the tape though. Yes. I'd be like someone going, I know this sounds crazy, but all the censorship kind of reminds me of like the lead up to world war two. And it's like, bingo. It's cause it does. It's better. And I always say this, it's better to be, laughably over paranoid tommy it's just a censor and maybe in 10 years we go huh, it really was just COVID censorship nothing never i'd rather be laughed at and say you do you were freaking out and me go yeah you're right i was a conspiracy theorist i'd rather that i'd rather do that and safely know that <laughs> i fought against censorship than it grow into some monster and go shit i didn't say anything You know, there was all the um, thing too about, you know, having to wear masks and stuff. And when I knew we were coming back into the studio, I was practicing, you know, you're trying to figure out what it is you can wear, you know, the mask and stuff, how to teach with a mask. Cause I'm such a- uh, I know you gotta go in a second. Yeah animated teacher, uh, you know, everything is visual. Um, I put a mask on and I had a panic attack. Yeah. And I, cause I couldn't breathe. And I realized that came from an accident when I was nine or 10. I rolled up into a carpet with my arms above my head Ugh. and I couldn't get out. And it just, felt like an anaconda. I was like constricted and I couldn't breathe and I almost passed out and, you know, and I was panicking. So I've been in several, it's funny, but it's not funny at the time when I, I, I'll pull off a, a shirt or a dress and I'm stuck and I start to panic because I can't get out of it. And I, I like, I can't breathe. So I had to fashion a uh, very lightweight, material you know mesh mask open-ended on the end and it's almost like the uh bandana you know yeah. the uh, wild west yeah uh, train robber uh but it only went to my chin yeah so that i had open like down at the happen. end i tried again after a couple months to wear uh, uh, even a lightweight mask you know, most of the teachers said, oh, you got to try this. This is so lightweight. And again, I panicked. And then I realized that came from, you know, just a dozen years ago when my husband passed because he had two cancers. And one was esophageal and not uh, laryngeal cancer. And it was the tumor was close to his carotid artery. So they couldn't operate, but his lungs filled up with tumors until they suffocated. Jesus. So, you know, that was within a six month period. 
So watching that again, you know, there's your double whammy yeah. um, of PTSD. Um, so it's like, you know, sometimes my boss will ask, well, you know, that mask isn't acceptable. I said, I don't care. Yeah, I don't give. You don't want to see me have a panic attack, and I'll have to explain that to the kids too. Yeah, I'm sorry. And then you know, <laughs> they react like you do, and it's like, ah, okay, now we understand why you can't. That's how it goes. Well, I think you've dispensed a massive amount of wisdom this podcast, so thank you. You're welcome. I don't know what you would call it, other than you I'm know, not, who cares. War and peace and recovery. War and peace. I I never have any idea what I'm going to call. It. I, I mean, when I have an author on, I can put the title of the book in. That's yeah. A, that's a. Otherwise, I'm just like ah, I just wing it. The tyranny of the tape. Six foot tape square. The tyranny of the tape. The tyranny of the tape. That'll be it. <laughs> Will be tyranny of the tape. Miss Kate Archer, I'll send this episode to you when it's up. It'll be up this evening. Um, All right. I would love to do it again. And uh, it's been a pleasure. And thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. And I did you send you some Reiki healing this oh, afternoon. Thank you. Thank you very much. I can feel the bye love. bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you so much. Take care.